when you as a fan spend $40 on a ticket between the service fees and the whatever, you at least like the feeling of feeling that you're supporting a band that you love. And if you find out that only $12 of that 40 is actually at the end of the day going into the band's pocket. And then you, and then you say something like, well, yeah, cause it's tough, you know, because this venue's taking uh, 20% of our merch gross, which really comes out to like 40% of our merch profits. And then, mm. and then seven more hands go up. They're like, wait, what? I think also because mm. people in general, when they're supporting a band at our level, they want to feel like when they're buying a shirt, it's going to the band and that they feel there's a good feeling there to find out that that band is maybe not being treated the way you understood them to be treated or whatever, that's upsetting to yeah. you as like a fan or a consumer or someone who feels invested in this small thing. When you do years of touring and you have hundreds of these conversations, it just kind of builds inside of like, something needs to happen here. Like we can't keep just doing this forever. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book third edition is out now however you listen to books however you find books or read books yes people still read books uh but i do have an audio version if you prefer to listen to books these days today my guests are gracie lawrence clyde lawrence and jordan cohen from the band Lawrence, Gracie, and Clyde are brother sisters, and Jordan is is not technically related, but uh, they've all known each other. Well, well, Clyde and, and Jordan have known each other since they've been six years old, and they've been in this band now, uh, touring almost consistently. Uh, the three of them, plus uh, five others, so eight total musicians for ten years. Uh, they have had songs. Uh, their their song "Don't Lose Sight" reached. Top 40, hit number 33 on Top 40. Uh, it was featured in the International Microsoft commercial. They performed on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Late Show with Stephen Colbert. They performed on the Today Show. Uh, they have appeared at, they've, they've played Coachella and Bonnaroo and Outside Lands and Firefly Hangout and Summerfest. Uh, they played Last Call with Carson Daly. Uh, they are a uh, touring enterprise, but like a DIY touring enterprise. And we're going to talk all about how they've made it work from the beginning of playing small, small clubs with eight people and how they made that work to today, where they're now on tour playing stadiums, yes, stadiums, supporting the Jonas Brothers. Uh, this tour is massive. They're, they're, they're opening every single show on the Jonas Brothers tour and uh, playing stadiums. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, you know, personally, 
Uh, I've seen them countless times everywhere from a tiny, tiny, tiny stage at Bonnaroo in, I want to say, 2015 uh, to the Hotel Cafe uh, playing in front of 100, 150 people in 2016. Um to uh, actually, I my my band Brassroots District opened up for them uh, when they played the Terragram um, in gosh that was probably 2018 in LA. Um, they're one of my favorite bands, and I've been a fan of them uh, for years uh, as long as long as since I've, I first saw them at Bonnaroo way back when until today. Um, where their music's great and they're they're releasing new singles. I uh, should check out their new songs uh, that have just been released off the the new record they're working on. But I think why a lot of you who are tuning in today is because Clyde Lawrence and Jordan they gave a testimony to the United States Senate uh, a few months back earlier this year about Live Nation and about what it means to be kind of a a touring operation. And they pulled the curtain back for the legislators, for the senators, while sitting next to some of the top brass at Live Nation on kind of the inequities of the live music industry and how uh, just the realities, rather, of, of how touring works or doesn't work and how the uh, deals are structured, which most people don't really realize and how much money is taken off the top and taken away from the artists, uh, namely taken out of their merch and and how, you know, for so long, it has just been standard practice that venues and promoters take 20%, sometimes 30, 40% of the artist's merch, which is for the record, completely unethical and unfair. It's just been a standard practice. Now, the big news of the month is that uh, Live Nation has revealed that this new initiative, this On the Road Again initiative uh, in partnership with Willie Nelson, that a lot of their small to mid-sized clubs around the U.S. and Canada, um, there's about 75 of these clubs, they are doing away with merch fees, merch cuts. No longer will they be taking a cut of the artist's merch. And not only that, they will be helping artists cover their tour expenses, offering $1,500 for the headliners and the openers, which is pretty fantastic and pretty incredible, uh, on top of the show compensation. We talk all about how we got here. Uh, Clyde and Jordan tell the story from how they got to appear in front of the Senate, how they testimony, and then also the conversations that they have had with Live Nation over the months to get us to this point. So this is an exclusive interview. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. This is something that you know I've been friends with uh, Clyde and Gracie uh, for for years now. And uh, I was so happy and honored that they decided to come on the New Music Business Podcast and tell their story and uh, discuss how they made this real change work. So strap in. Uh, This is jam-packed, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, You can find the band Lawrence on all the social platforms. Um, It's Lawrence spelled L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. Just search them on, on all the platforms. Um, and check out their music, their new music. Their music is fantastic. Uh, you can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on the socials, on TikTok and Instagram and X. You can find me at Ari Herstand on Instagram and X, formerly known as Twitter. 
Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on the email list. That is the best place to kind of stay in touch and get notified about new episodes and the new music business and all uh, the new episodes that we release. We'll send you an email about it. Get on the email list. But if you can, right now, just pause this, uh, pause the episode right now, hit the subscribe button, hit the follow button, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you're listening to the show right now. If it's on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Subscribe if you want us in your in your feed. And uh, yeah, we'll keep these going. All right, let's kick into the show. What's up, Lawrence? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, um, I'm so happy that I get all three of you today. And first off, Gracie, how are you feeling? I saw that you were so sick a few nights ago that you actually had to miss the show. Is that right? Yeah, um, we're on tour right now opening for the Jonas Brothers. And it would take it takes a lot to like make me not perform. <laughs> um, uh-huh. I think I had food poisoning. It was yeah. a it was a rough it was a rough one in a moving vehicle. That's probably the thing you want the least i'd say (laughs) this is probably the thing that's the most annoying so um yeah it was not good i'm okay right now i'm like i think i'm like exhausted from it but i'm okay how did you guys do the show without gracie i mean is this the first show in the history of lawrence that didn't have one of the two of you third this is the third show that we've done without gracie ever we did one show open went on our tour opening for John Bellion without Gracie because she had an acting gig that she couldn't get out of. We had one, um, we had one show opening for, uh, Charlie Puth in which Gracie had COVID. (laughs) So we've actually had some pretty high profile gigs and I always (laughs) try to, um, just try to like, we make a set list based around the songs that I sing. I give yeah. Clyde my clothes yeah. and I just say, run with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for this, for this one, we do have a new single that we recently put out called I'm Confident That I'm Insecure that yeah. I uh, have never attempted to sing before and I did my best to do it. Um, and it was pretty funny. I have a video of it that I'll, I'll probably post. Yeah, it it's great for the band because it really makes it spiced up. We get to see Clyde trying to do it. Yeah, nice. I uh, yeah, sweet. I I, I want to see that video. Um, speaking of, that's, that's true. Right. They did one. You have, album. yeah. Oh it was shit! So exhausting because we like didn't think through the set list in terms of like transition. So I just was so exa- Like I somehow just sang. I, I think I just sang so much in such a short period of time. It was the most exhausting thing I've ever done. But, um, oh man! Yeah. <laughs> well, other than that, uh, how has this tour been? Uh, opening for the Jonas Brothers in what are you playing stadiums? Did I see? I saw you played Yankee Stadium. I saw you playing. Uh, I mean, yeah. How is is this? Are these the biggest venues you've ever played? Yeah, <laughs> I think that the smallest show on this tour is around the size of the biggest show we'd ever played before that. Um, wow! It's been it's been really epic. I mean. Yeah. It's just crazy to play in front of that many people every night. And hopefully, even if a small percentage of them who are brand new to us are like becoming either Lawrence fans or at least intrigued enough by Lawrence to be open to becoming Lawrence fans, then it's a really, then it's great for the band. Um, mm-hmm. But also just on an experience level, like we're such, um, 
logistics junkies and such like people that love to like see how things work and so like you know to be able to like see a tour of this scale i mean it's really the jones brothers put on like the most like amazingly high production like arena stadium concert to be able to just like get an inside look every day on how something like that comes together in a new city every day has just been cool on an operational yeah. level too I I love uh, how you guys uh, function as a band, um, and I love this new docu series that you're rolling out. Um, I just watched this morning the one you released yesterday on the drunkest show you've ever done, and that was fucking amazing. <laughs> um, that was that was hilarious. And as a Dodgers fan, a hardcore Dodgers fan, I really appreciated how much you trolled the Astros fans and, and the Houston audience on that because uh they are fucking cheaters and the dodgers were the ones on the losing end of that stick so i'm like every time you said i'm like yes clyde get him get him the funniest part of that to me is just like drunk clyde as like an entity like i like it's just an alternate person and you don't get like most people when they get drunk like it's a really bad side of their personality that comes or some some like specific thing for you it was like specifically you were just like mad at injustice about in baseball yeah you know just that's that's what happens i guess <laughs> no that was fantastic um but also what i i watched the another episode um where you guys kind of pulled back the curtain on your operations and it was cool to see I mean, really how DIY the operation is. I mean, you guys are playing, you know, when you're headlining tours, you're playing sizable rooms. I mean, you know, thousands of people a night in a lot of these cities um, to, to just see how much you guys are so hands on with it all uh, was actually really inspiring. And someone who, you know, geeks out about, you know, the production and the behind the scenes and just kind of how it all works. Um, talk a little bit about how your operation functions and, and works these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we try to operate, we're an eight piece band and have been the entire time, you know, the three yeah. of us are just three out of eight people in the band. And so from the beginning, we knew that from a financial standpoint, from a like literal base in a vehicle or in a room standpoint, like that's already a lot of people. You'd never start like a tech startup with eight people, like yeah. from the beginning. <laughs> um, like, uh, so we just kind of thought, okay, if we're all gonna do this, then we need to all bring a lot of skills to the table. And I think we also really trusted that everyone in the band had a lot of skills. A lot of the things that go into running a band are things that um, sometimes other bands take on other people for because they, they don't know how to do those things. But we were just like, we think we can know how to do a lot of these things from mm -hmm. being our own production manager or tour manager or business manager or um, merch manager or VIP coordinator. Um, you know, those are all tasks that it's just kind of like, oh, like who, who feels like they can kind of run that? And then we do have a lot of elements of a traditional team. Like we do have management, we do have an agent and a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the main ones um, that we have. But, but no label right now. No label. Well, we're on, wow. we are partnered with John Bellion and his label, Beautiful Mind Records. But 
Okay. That's not a like a, a label in a traditional sense. John really Belling, like, your uh, producer of uh, the last couple records and then yeah well so i mean i kind of all of our recorded music we've always kind of self-produced but always had like another producer that we worked with on it so like on our first album like eric Eric krasno produced that album Mm -hmm. um we we also like did a lot of the production but like worked with him on it and then our second album we had another amazing producer named eli cruz and then for our third album hotel tv we worked with john and the relationship kind of blossomed beyond just him helping with the music, but to him also just becoming such a, like, not only such a close friend, but also somebody that got really involved in helping us grow our business and helping us um, promote ourselves. Um, Mm. And, you know, he's just such a person with so much creativity in the business and, you know, on and off the court, so to speak. Um, So like, we signed this this label deal with him with his with his it was a brand new label at the time uh beautiful mind records but functionally the band operates independently it's just kind of us and john against the world vibes um (laughs) and uh yeah so everybody everybody in the band kind of has their own different talents that they use to like fill a role that a lot of other bands might be bringing an entire person to do that job on the road. Sure. And we found that it's worked for us. And then of course there are times when you can't like at a certain point, uh, you know, we can't do our own sound while we're on stage. So we need a sound mm-hmm. person. So we, we thought about it. Yeah. We thought about it. <laughs> so we, like, Soon we enough. Brought on, yeah, exactly. We brought on an amazing sound person, but probably like later than bands usually would. And now mm-hmm. like we have an awesome sound person that, and even their role is more than just doing sound. And then like, same thing with lights. At some point we brought on an amazing lighting director and she's incredible. And she often does more than what just the traditional job of doing lights would be. It's just kind of about adding people to the team with that sort of can do attitude. So are you touring uh, with 10 people now uh, in a vehicle? Is that kind of what the operation is? It's twelve on a bus, so oh. um, we're we're a full we're a full bus. Yeah, it's a it's bus, a tour days. bus. Oh yeah, Real tour bus. Wow, is this the first? The is, have you guys done tour bus tours in the past? Yeah, this is our okay. third, I think. Um, but this is definitely the longest run on a bus, which is really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, in that docu series, I saw. Were you guys touring in a Tesla? I was trying to figure out what was happening there because you had <laughs> no. <laughs> no. The guys that uh, were on tour doing the documentary because we in on that tour we were eleven people in a van, and uh-huh. that's not including the docu the the documentary team, which was like two to three people. So at okay. most points they had a separate vehicle that was sometimes just like a rented car or whatever. So yeah, I like they had a Tesla Tesla. for a window of time and I just like rode with them. Sometimes someone from the band would ride in their car either just for fun or because they wanted to like interview one of us in their car or whatever. Yeah. I saw you were making, uh, you're making like little, little productions on there, on the screen there. (laughs) Yeah. I was so drunk. I honestly don't even remember that. I was like, wow, I did a pretty good job with that. Got it. Okay. So you have 12. So other than the 10, 
uh, with your front of house engineer, your lighting designer, who are the other two right well, now? There's eight of us. Then we have, yeah, LD, uh, we have front of house, we have um, a video wall person. I don't know what the technical title for that oh. job is, but someone okay. who's helping us out um, cool. on video wall and like helping out in a lot of other capacities. And who am I missing? Photo video. Photo video. Yeah. Like social okay. media, photo video. Um, nice. But yeah, like even those people's roles are like not strict. We're not just like our our video wall guy is not just like showing up and like doing the video wall. Like he's working also yeah. he's also like helping set the stage, kind of acting as like a um you know just general um like tech of the of the gear and like helping set the stage put down the set list like a number of everyone kind of has a number of different tasks and i think as cool. clyde said like when we're bringing people on board like that's not something we spring on them when they arrive on the tour that's like in the process of trying to figure out who might be a good fit for us to work with like first and mm. foremost someone whose personality we just feel like we want to hang out with all the time because such sure. a big part of being on tour is like a lot of time together. Um, yeah. But also, you know, in advance of bringing someone on tour, obviously being super upfront with like the job you do is the job you do. We also tend to be a band that like when someone else needs help with something like that, you know, stepping in and helping, is that something you're comfortable with? Is that something you're excited about? Like those mm. kinds of things. Um, cool. And getting a gauge for people's, interest in that um yeah because that isn't for everyone and that's totally fair and respectable too i think it's also important to say that like we don't really hire crew for a tour we've always really looked at it as hiring like the next member of the lifelong team family family <laughs> yeah. wow. like it's a family cool. band that extends to every new member and i think mm -hmm. when you have that attitude and you treat everyone as being part of a team people are just mm -hmm. willing to go above and beyond rather than just showing up and doing their one specific hour long and job of the out. day yeah. and clocking out. Yeah. Well, and and that's a really great point and and I appreciate you mentioning that cuz I mean, you know, I know uh your guys history for a while, I've been following you and and you know, uh friends for a while, but for people that aren't as familiar, it's it's fascinating to me, I think, that all eight of you have kind of been there since the beginning. And the three of you have been there since, what, you were 13? And then, like, the two oh, of you have been there since the beginning. Yeah, like seven. <laughs> six. Or six. Oh, just kidding. Even earlier. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Five when I was zero. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then I met Jordan when I was two. Yeah. Wow. I don't remember it. I used to see Gracie running around as a two-year-old trying to <laughs> sing, and I'm like, one day, one day, kid, give it up. I forced Jordan and Clyde to listen to me. I actually remember this. Sing the entire Christina Aguilera album. Yep, that album, first Christina album. Aguilera album. Like, I'd be like, like before I could like, speak, I'd be like, guys, like, I'd be like sit down. We're like and just then, trying to play Xbox. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> so, well, but but speak to that a little bit because I that's really yeah. unique that you have a band of eight people that one has lasted this long, um, and that you know, and and it speaks to a lot. You might not consider use this word, but it speaks to a lot of the culture of the operation oh, yeah. and kind no, of the enterprise totally is just like 
that you've maintained this tightly knit group of eight. Uh, I mean, most people don't stick in jobs this long, let alone, you know, and the fact that you guys, and, and this is one of the most grueling uh, professions on planet earth and you've been able to make it work for this long with, with eight people. Yeah, it is pretty, it is pretty cool. I often cite it as like one of the biggest points of pride for me and us as a band, I think. And Mm -hmm. not, and you know, like what, if you had asked me 10 years ago, if that same group of eight people would still be going now, I'd be like, I really hope so. But like, you know, life happens, who knows? And like the fact that it has worked out that way is like definitely by design to your point Mm -hmm. and like speaks to culture, but also like speaks to each individual person, like putting in a lot of work to make it be something that still works for them. But yeah, I mean, so Gracie and I are siblings, Jordan, we've known since we were little, little kids, our drummer, Sam was someone that I went to like middle school, high school with, and then to college with as well. Mm -hmm. And then he was a little bit older than me. So I met him in middle school jazz band. Um, and I met him then too, but I was just a bunch of years younger. Right. Yeah, we met him <laughs> yeah. when we were both in middle school. And then and then we were in high school together. And then he went to Brown. And and then I went to Brown a couple of years later. And he was still there. And then through him, I met a few of his friends that then became members of the band. And yeah. then I met a couple other guys that were in the band. So everybody was the the latest entrance to the band. We were actually just talking about this because we just hit the 10 year anniversary. Remember you were on your phone. You were like, Oh, what was 10 years ago mm. today? We just oh, hit right. the 10 year anniversary of the first show that, um, our most recently entered band member played, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, that? Um, yeah. I think it was Karsh. Karsh, Karsh's first show as our bassist was like exactly 10 years ago to the day, like a couple weeks ago. And so every band member has been in this band for at least 10 years, essentially. Um, Wow. And there are, in college, we had some other people that like, you know, like we had like multiple different people that knew all the drum parts or the bass parts because, you know, if someone had like a essay or something, (laughs) then like I could just text everyone and be like, who's free? So to, to yeah. shout out to all those other awesome people that were part of like the broader collective of it for those first couple sure. of years. But every single member of this eight person group has been a part of it for over 10 mm. years now. And, and I'm only 18. So that's like, yeah. crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, right. But um, it, so it's, um, but I mean, it also like speak a little bit more to, because, you know, most people don't see how the meat is made and the fact that all eight of you are wearing several different hats and have since the beginning i mean just from my vantage point that seems to me the only way that you could possibly make something like this work with so many people i mean i honestly have no idea how you made it work in the early days with eight people playing like i saw you guys at the hotel cafe uh which is in if people don't know in la uh a hundred and uh, 85 cap room back in, um, actually I remember the day because it was the day that, uh, they, uh, that Trump, that, that like Trump won the election yes, or something the day after was it tough. was fucking nuts. And, and Grace, you wore your, your, uh, nasty, nasty yeah. woman t-shirt on. And it was a fucking crazy day. It was a whirlwind. Yeah. Uh, 
so wild um because everyone was just like an alternate reality and an alternate universe there um but like you're playing small rooms like that how did you make it work then with eight people Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that, for me at this point, is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. Well, we started, you know, our our gigs in college basements, and those okay. are not venues, and they're yeah. also <laughs> probably like fire hazards and absolutely not fit for eight people to perform, let alone one, really. Um, (laughs) we, I think that we kind of cut our teeth, so to speak in those environments where like, Mm. just learn how to be as engaging of a performer. You learn how to perform in ridiculous conditions, um, that are not conducive to necessarily sounding good, but learning how to try to sound the best in those kinds of rooms. Um, Mm -hmm very limited space, but still learning how to take up the space that you can. So I think like a lot of very valuable lessons were learned in those first few years of just playing Mm. shows while I was in high school and Clyde was in college. Um, Mm. And then we pretty much directly took those skills learned and applied them as soon as we hit the road the following year, really. Um, Mm. As soon as we both graduated, as soon as I graduated from high school and Clyde graduated from college, we made our first album and started touring pretty immediately so those skills were directly transferable and as Clyde said it was the same group of people that had been playing those college shows that came to do um you know the tour so there was a lot of that background I think that that's like the answer about like how we made it work from a like putting on good shows level there's a few different levels in which you can answer your question there's like yeah also as you said like the band camaraderie and culture level which is like how do you and i think that that is honestly the same answer that it is now which is just like having really good systems for communication and like transparency and comfort and trust within the band like i think that we've always tried to create really well structured like kind of 
like systems were very mm. like systems oriented. Like, you know, what happens if someone misses a show? Like, do they just not get paid for that show or, but what if that shows the highest paying one and they actually couldn't make it like that's unfair. So, okay, why don't we aggregate all the monies over the course of a show and pay it out according to however many of the shows you made? Like, you know, we come up with yeah. tons of systems and have these documents that are almost <laughs> like a constitution of the band's operating agreement. Um, cool. And they're not actually formal contracts, but like we all have abided by them for years and amended them when new like edge cases come up where it's like, oh, this is kind of a, a specific case we didn't think of. Let's like, let's amend our system for that. You know, so we, I think that yeah. that kind of thing is like part of the culture of it that allows it to mm. work from the beginning and up through now. And acknowledge yeah. that like each person that like there's fairness and we want to be fair to everyone, but that there are like specific ways in which different people operate in different ways. And that that constitution has to account for that. For example, I can't literally physically carry as heavy of a bag. So an Uber <laughs> might be necessary for me to be cut, whatever, like those kinds of sure. things are taken into account for the fairness and the well-being of everyone in the band. And then yeah. there's like the financial aspect, which might also be a question of like, how as eight people did we literally yeah. tour? Yes. And I mean, the answer is like, we had like no costs, like literally we had like almost no costs, like because we all did all of the things. Um, no one was we getting had to eat. Paid. <laughs> yeah yeah so no one yeah so like we had like the cost of like eating. Oh, we mentioned, you're not allowed to eat in our yeah. Yeah. yeah i just mean like that's part of the constitution right um there, there was like practically no cost of touring that we would yeah. normally have we had we we were just talking about this we literally pretty much didn't rent a hotel room like get book a hotel room for the entire first year <laughs> and a half of us touring. Um, Where'd we you were, sleep? It was because we, I mean, the, the nice thing about having eight people in the band is that like, we have a lot of friends. So like that, like mm. try to use that as a benefit as much, whether it's one of our families or like a generous friend's, like we stayed with a lot of our college friends' parents, like because they would have like bigger homes <laughs> than just out of yeah. college friends would. But we also stayed with a lot of people our age and just slept on yeah. couches. And, and we also like slept that. in the van. Twice we slept a week. in the van like once or twice. Yeah, I would say like the good oh, wow. nights were okay. when we were like staying with somebody's a friend's family and like some really nice home, and then they would like be so hospitable and like cook for us and whatever but then there were many nights where we were just sleeping on like a just out of college friends floor and then many nights where we were sleeping in the van and that was kind mm -hmm. of that we had gracie and i like bought a van a, a used van from the the savings that we had at that point um wow and so yeah gas and gas and you know people's food you know we paid out like a small i think we paid out a $20 a day per diem to everybody in the band, yeah. um, which wow. was like in advance against any profit. So like, um, sure. so, mm. and then every, um, 
and which there weren't any profits for the first year maybe <laughs> plus and then yeah. almost everyone in the band had found other jobs that they were able to make no one in the band was making a living off of the touring for the first couple of years um sure everybody found other jobs whether it was like tutoring giving lessons freelance remote uh software engineering work um you know uh, one someone was like writing grants for a non a nonprofit. Thankfully, everyone in the band is like super smart and capable, and was able to find yeah. ways. To do it. Jordan was playing tons of weddings whenever we mm. weren't on tour, teaching. teaching. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, it was a mix of like finding jobs that allowed people to um, have other sources of income. I also yeah. think that style of touring, like you know, obviously the conversation around mental health has progress in a great way over the past few years. I think that yeah. style of touring worked for us at that time because it was our first few years of touring. There's a certain sure. level of excitement. There's a lot of youth. There's a lot of energy and sort of willingness to, for lack of a less Gen Z term, like send it. And, <laughs> uh, and like, I think that, you know, if that was perhaps still the way we were touring 10 years in, that sure. would be really tough. And I'm sure we would yeah. have really hard conversations about, you know, mentally, how can we make this better for ourselves? Physically. Physically, how can we make mm -hmm. this better for ourselves? Um, fortunately, we're not in that exact position and we're not having to have those, those exact conversations. But um, yeah. yeah, I think like that was also reminiscent of a specific time and place in all of our lives that we kind of mm. had a mutual um, enthusiasm and willingness for that kind of touring. And we also didn't tour as back to back. We had significant breaks, I would say, in between our touring periods. Um, mm. But or, or like, you know, a few weeks I didn't really think of it that way, but maybe we did. I mean, I, I just think we had Time. I yeah. wouldn't say that we toured for like an entire year. Yeah. I would say that we had yeah. chunks of time off. And but, um, yeah. Nice. And uh, Jordan, you've been tour managing uh, since yep. the Day beginning. One, I'm until present day. Is that is that yeah. been the case for ten years? Nope. No I one. think <laughs> I did the very very first like well, two Schisner weeks. Did it the first. Right, right. Like via me on right, the right. ground. Yeah. It was yeah. Is how did you learn to do this? Where did you like and and how has it evolved over the years on the job training? Okay. Yeah. How has it evolved over the years? Essentially, there's no rule book, there's no guidelines, there's no standard practices, and every day is kind of a new, exciting, terrible day. Um, yeah. I kind of like live and thrive off of the dealing with whatever the day might throw my way. Yeah. Um, how has it grown? I mean, in a real sense, I think that's something that's like really nice is that as you grow in a band, people start to kind of listen to you a little more. Like you have more say in how the day is going to run. In the early mm -hmm. days, it's literally like, here's when you're showing up. You tell me what I need to know. And they say, yeah. yep, show up at four. You'll have a 12 minute sound check and no one will be here. Have fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then as yeah. you grow, you're able to say, like, we need three hours of sound checking time. Mm. Dressing rooms, make sure it has X, Y, Z. Yeah, for our headlining tours. Sure. Um, in terms of stage and production, like, we're able to kind of make some demands in which some of them get met, which is nice. 
Um, yeah, I often like, and as a, you know, this is just a byproduct of our band and culture. Like we're super, super organized when it comes to tour management. Um, and most venues are honestly like shocked at the level of, um, nuance and like granularity that I expect them to be able to give me information. And then mm. I have a high standard of expecting each venue to actually stand by their words. Um, yeah. Which often leads to many arguments and like many late night, uh, as you saw in the documentary, just like stressful mm -hmm. moments right before this. Like, I'll literally be arguing with someone until I walk on stage and then and what's the, right back. The funniest part is that often people we work with don't have no realize, yeah. not just Jordan, particularly Jordan, but how many of the people in the band are in the band. Right. Because, like, yeah. Johnny who is our production manager usually wears like all black during the whole day and like fully looks like he's just our like, like roadie. He's got like a walkie talkie and he's like setting up all the equipment. And then like, yeah. he's talking to all the stage hands and the way a production manager would. And then it's like, sure. right. Before, and then same with Jordan. He's like talking about the logistics of the day. Often like, there everyone's like all right we got to go get on stage and people don't even realize that these guys are in the band which is like the funniest thing yeah that's always a fun that's fun fantastic um which this is a, a a nice natural segue i mean as you know because you guys are so involved in the business operations of everything um you know and you and and you are so detail-oriented and granular with um how kind of the deals are structured and all of that i mean i i was watching in the in the documentary kind of how there was one show where you were charged 500 bucks for a production manager who didn't show and yeah. you're there and, and then of you know so speak you know a, a lot of people are listening right now because uh because of your senate testimony and the big news of the week of course is um that live nation uh, has done away with merch fees for about 75 of their small to mid-level venues, which is huge. I mean, this is honestly, this is such a sea change. And I think it took a lot of people by surprise because not a, you know, we, we, there's a lot of grievances, grievances in the music industry just across the board. And very rarely does something actually happen that actually yeah. helps real musicians yeah. um, in a real way. And this happened and it's it's uh, being celebrated, you know, across the industry. I think a lot of us are still in shock that this this actually went down. Not only are they doing away with uh, the merch fees, but everyone from the headliners to the openers are getting paid fifteen hundred dollars on top of the show compensation to cover other expenses. And now I, I had a lot of questions about this. I got on the phone with someone at Live Nation last night because I'm just like, all right. What's the catch here? Is this like, yeah. is this like, is it you have to submit gas receipts or like, what's it? They're like, no, no, it's literally envelopes of cash. I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yeah, yeah, go look online. Like, people are showing the envelopes yeah. of cash they're being handed of this. So, you know, first off, on behalf of the entire independent music community, I like a, just offering an immense amount of gratitude and thanks to uh, both of you for what you did, because this wouldn't have happened without uh, your advocacy and your Senate testimony and then everything you've done behind the scenes in between, you know, the testimony until now 
Talk a little bit about the journey of how you started with the grievances in the green rooms of we're being charged for this and that, and they're not here, and what this is absurd, uh, to today and yeah. and this m- incredible deal. Yeah, first of all, thank you. That's like so nice, and it's so cool to see these changes finally happening. Um, I think kind of what we were just saying, like Clyde and I walk into every settlement of a show, meaning like after the show happens, time to get paid, time to look at the paperwork and talk it over. We walk in and we're like so thorough in a way that most artists maybe aren't because they're outsourcing tour management to people that A, are like not part of the team and they're being mm-hmm. paid to do a million things and this is just one of them. I think that's a really critical part of it is like re-examining the responsibilities of the tour manager at the club level. Yeah. Tour manager's often a person that is like a really great can-do spirit, hands-on attitude with not necessarily a ton of experience. And even if mm-hmm. they do have a ton of experience, it might be in like the logistics of making the show happen, not on pouring through the details of a settlement that they actually don't stand to gain or lose if the money's right or not. Yeah. So we'll in these settlement rooms very often just be seeing things that on the face of it seem to be like unfair and we'll have really like often pleasant conversations with staff, you know, venue representatives discussing like why is it this way? Why is this mm-hmm. the system? How did we get here? And every so often you'll find someone who's willing to have that conversation and agree that like, yeah, no, oh yeah, no, that does seem a little bit unfair. And when you do years of touring and you have hundreds of these conversations, it just kind of builds inside of like, something needs to happen here. Like we can't keep just doing this forever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so we just, Always we're having these conversations with each other, with other people in the band, with other bands, with our fans, with our fans. Yeah. Like, you know, we would have meet and greet uh, Q and a sessions that would devolve into like us talking about, you know, the economics of a show or whatever. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was a little bit more than your fans probably signed up for. Yeah. They're like more interested in that. Yeah. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I mean, cool. We often get questions from fans, just like the ones you asked of like, how do you start off touring economically at this level? Like that, all sure. these different things. Um, and then you, and then you say something like, well, yeah, because it's tough, you know, because this venue's taking twenty uh, percent of our merch gross, which really comes out to like forty percent of our merch profits, and then mm-hmm. and then seven more hands go up. They're like, "Wait, what?" Like, run, you know, people like when you start to tell them some of the numbers, people start to like really be interested, whether they're a musician or not. I think also because mm. people in general, when they're supporting a band at our level, or they feel like they've gotten in on the ground level. They want to feel like when they're buying a shirt, it's going to the band and that they feel like there's something, there's a good feeling there. When you find something early, when you feel like it's your secret to find out that that band is maybe not being treated the way you understood them to be treated or whatever, that's upsetting to you as like a fan or a consumer or someone who feels invested in this small thing. Also, when you as a fan spend $40 on a ticket between the service fees and the whatever, you at least like the feeling of feeling that you're supporting a band that you love. And if you find out that, um, I don't know, maybe only uh, $12 of that 
40 is actually at the end of the day going into the band's pocket, partially yeah. because of deal structures being messed up, partially because of the high costs on various sides of things. And then that's not including our costs. So then only $6 are actually the, the band's profit or whatever. Like those, then right. you're like, wait, tell me more about that. So anyway, we have a lot of those kinds of conversations. Um, and we, um, and I just think that there was this moment around that whole Taylor Swift, um, uh, you know, debacle, um, mm -hmm. where there was just all of a sudden a more like mainstream national interest in hearing about the economics of the live music industry and of the most broad sure. sense. And I say that in a broad sense, because a lot of the issues Jordan and I were dealing with on a night to night basis, the ones we're talking to you about right now have very little are, are, are only tangentially related to what happened with the whole Taylor Swift thing. But it was just sure. a moment where I think that there was an opening in like the general interest mindset of the average person to hearing about the economics of the live music industry in general. Um, mm -hmm. And so we were kind of encouraged by a friend of ours to write something thinking maybe it would be an open letter, thinking maybe it would be, picked up in some random whatever and literally like very randomly <laughs> the New York times ran it. And then that was like, Whoa, okay. This is about to be like a whole different ball game. Like literally yeah. it was like, it went from literally being like, Oh yeah. Like if we like the way this turns out, we know our fans think that we care a lot about this. Like maybe we'll post it on socials, blah, 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 blah. To like literally me getting an email being like, Hey, this is the head of, New York Times editorial, read your piece from a friend of a friend. Um, we'd love to run this like in the next week. And then like, wow. like so it was literally that. So then it's like. So then oh, that came out. Yeah. And then shortly after that. Then everything started. Everything started coming together, including getting an email similar to that from Senator Amy Klobuchar's office, basically saying that she's putting this panel together for the Senate Judiciary Committee's hearing on all of this ticketing stuff and they want to have an artist and they want to have, they were like wondering if we would want to be that artist. And it, yeah. it just kept like in those weeks and months, everything just kept leveling up in intensity. You really, I, I was, I've said this to people before, but like you really come to understand how a person becomes like that guy that's on every news oh, channel yeah. because literally <laughs> it was just like, it like in the days leading up to and right after the Senate testimony or the Live Nation op-ed, it was like CNN, NBC, CBS, did it, like all the different things being like, do you want to come do a five minute talking? <laughs> and it's like, you really are like, oh, like I get like, I don't know. It was just one of those moments where it was like, this is how this happens. This is how this happens. We yeah. could be on like, yeah. every and then it's like, do we want to do that? Like, right. like what is the benefit? Do we want to be choosy about what we're saying? Like, sure. how, like, what's are we going to just be saying, what's yeah. the goal? Yeah, exactly. Then it became yeah. like, what's the goal? And the goal is to create change. Yeah. Um, if we can. And yeah. so then we talk in front of the Senate again, like totally don't know what that's going to be like, but it turns out to like literally go viral on TikTok, And like, we're told in advance. And I think Amy Klobuchar has even, uh, 
has even mentioned this like publicly. Like we were kind of told in advance, like, yeah, we, we wanted to have an artist perspective. So like you guys be on the panel, but no one's probably going to really ask you any questions. They're going to spend 90% of their time on the live nation guy. And da, 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 da. and then of course we're getting asked a million questions uh-huh. because everyone <laughs> wants to talk to the artist and, and all the right. senators want, you know, probably a like fun video of like, them conversing with well, a, the artist. What you said was very right. interesting and compelling, and perhaps yeah. unexpected to yeah, them I think... in a way that probably made them gear their question slightly differently. It's the same as what I said about the VIP meet and greets. I, you know, I start talking about some of the economics of this. All of a sudden people are like, wait, what? Like I have a question. Yeah, right. <laughs> so literally like yeah. we're doing all these questions by far the most vi- like spread clips from the whole event are the ones of us doing our thing. And so it's just like this crazy snowball thing where it's like really none of this was like part of some big calculated plan. But then yeah. again, there's a whole new round of like opportunities to talk to press about it. Like, okay, what's the goal? And then it balloons into like opportunities to talk to other government powers about it. Um, and pursue that route. And then it turns into opportunities to talk in a more serious way to Live Nation directly about it, um, in which we're like really given an opportunity um, to like voice not only the things that we wanted to say that were directly related to this Senate hearing. Because again, the Senate hearing mm-hmm. was still about ticketing, consumer, consumer ticketing issues. So we were kind sure. of trying to Trojan horse as many of our like artist advocacy issues into that. Not that we don't care about consumer ticketing issues. Sure. But then like, you know, through that, given a chance to actually sit down with Live Nation in a, in a non Senate setting in a more undefined period of time and air all of our concerns that whether or not they're related to the issue of the moment. And then, you know, I think that we kind of just spoke about a number of things, had a number of mm. continued conversations, and it became clear very quickly that this merch issue was one that we were really being heard on. You know, I think that it became mm. clear immediately that, like, not to say that they're not open to some of the other things that we have brought up, and hopefully those you know, these programs will expand and we're continuing our conversations with them. But from the get-go, cool. it was like, Oh, the merch thing. Yeah, no. Yeah, let, let's figure that out. You yeah. know, that was kind of the tone. Yeah, which was honestly like they're in this one epic meeting that we had right on the heels of all of this craziness. It was really nice. Like we had, the, again, like it was a big, long, undefined amount of time with some pretty high up people at Live Nation, which was the first time we had ever had the opportunity to like be heard out on that level. And mm. we're met with like a lot of listening and like appreciating our concerns and agreeing with us on a few of these things, including the merch thing that like ultimately led us to this point, kind of, you know, Mm. six months of working with them. Um, Yeah. I think so much of their business is these super high level artists and high level concerts. And so I think that like, honestly, not to say they're, they weren't paying attention, but I think that it's like, I just think that like a lot of the people making the biggest decisions there are understandably focused on like not the club level right 
economics as much for artists. Like, I, like not yeah. to say that they're not thinking about that and they're obviously thinking about it on their own end. And the thing is that the, the margins at the club level are razor thin for everybody. Um, sure. But, but yeah, I think that like there was almost a sense of like we're coming in with all of these issues that club mm-hmm. level artists are facing. And it was sort of just like a moment of them being like, okay, yeah, like let's just try to fix some of these issues. Like that was honestly the tone. Like, okay, yeah, like fair enough. Yeah. And then where did the, oh, sorry, keep that. going. No, 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 go ahead. Um, Where did the $1,500 per artist come from? Do you, did you guys, discuss that or was that as much of a shock to you as it was to everybody else the specifics of that were not really something that we were involved in as but we were very much kind of illuminating the issues that like in these deals all of the venue expenses are always covered and none of the artist expenses are covered um yes that was kind of the main point that we were bringing to the table and we you know, suggested some solutions in which this is one of them, but there, I think there are other things that can be happening industry-wide to um, help alleviate that pain. But yeah, they kind of took that pain point and ran with it to this specific program. We definitely, we definitely like brought up on our, you know, we literally, I mean, we have a list of bullet points and definitely one of them was like a, both like messaging and financial acknowledgement of the artist's costs in the form of some type of reimbursement because obviously artists can sometimes have guarantees but at small clubs those are often not even enough to cover their costs and right. that money is commissioned by a whole litany of people um so yeah i think that that was well yeah and for the openers i mean you know it's uh it's no it's no secret that a lot of openers especially first to three openers or something like that might be getting paid a couple hundred bucks to open the show literally one two three hundred dollars to open a show in front of you know 800 people or something like that so like going from making two hundred dollars to making seventeen hundred dollars for the show that's a huge difference thing that's happening that openers and headliners are each yeah. getting fifteen hundred dollars wow got it that's honestly that's to be totally that. honest with you that's when Slightly we different. had a when we spoke with live nation about what the program was going to be it wasn't exactly yeah. that so that's really yeah. amazing to hear if that's what it has evolved into <laughs> it was yeah, not yeah. the same um the numbers were a little different but it's super now cool. the other thing is 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 um uh, you know, all of this is incredible. And, and the fact and it's it's really nice to hear kind of the behind the scenes of just like that you were heard and that you brought these grievances. And like you said, venue expenses are always covered and artist expenses are never really discussed and never part of that conversation. So the fact that they are, um, they not only heard that, but they're addressing it. You know, now there's a lot of naysayers out there i don't know if you've seen the commentary especially from kind of the independent venue associations namely like neva national independent venue association and and some of these other independent venues that are like well live this is a this is a move by live nation to just push out and put out of business the independent uh venues and then once all the other their competitions out of business then they're going to go back to their own ways what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, look, as I said before, the margins at 
at this level are very thin. So I'm totally like sympathetic to that perspective. And obviously like we want independent venues to be able to not only exist, but thrive. We also want artists to be able to exist and thrive. And it's really hard because you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole as far as, you know, having everybody that deserves to make a comfortable living doing this amazing thing, which is putting on club level shows. Everyone should, we want all of that. Um, yeah. And like, we look forward to, or hope that there's an opportunity for us to like come up with ideas for how to make um, positive change for the economics of independent club level venues. Yes. But I, I don't think that the solution is clinging on to what feels like a not totally good policy from like a philosophical standpoint. Like, I, I think that, I think that that's a really interesting conversation to be had, but I think that getting rid of artist merch cuts at the club level is the right thing to do. And I don't think yes. that live nation should be um, discouraged from doing that. Like, as to what their motives are, look, like Jordan and I have had a number of conversations with them in which to our to our ear, they're interested in solving some of the problems that that small level artists are having right now. And like yes. they're able to make that change. Like that's mm. you know, hopefully this program is permanent and that is exactly yes. like how that proves to be. So I, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a complicated issue, obviously, but the right. only thing I feel confident in is that them getting rid of artist merch cuts is good Fair. and something to be celebrated. Yes. That's kind of like, absolutely. let's go yeah. from that agreement and move yes. forward and hear everybody's concerns. Well, and that's the thing is just like. Uh, I think we all agree that uh, merch cuts, artist merch cuts, are un- unethical, and they sh- if if we're not getting a cut of the bar, then then the venue and the promoter should not be getting a cut of the merch. It's it's oh, yeah. pretty um, understood that 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 just makes a lot of sense. That's just conceptually just makes sense. And so, you know, I took um, I in response to a lot of these independent venues or people saying, well, like the live nation's motives are X, Y, and Z. I'm like, regardless, I mean, yes, we're in a capitalist society. They're a massive multi-billion dollar corporation, blah, 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 blah. I don't trust them. Fine. Nobody, you know, whatever. But that doesn't negate the fact that they are doing something really, really good in the right direction and making strides. And that hopefully will inspire every other venue independent major whatever to do what's right and that is to do away with with merch cuts and just like no matter how you know it it turns out like that just is the right thing to do yeah they're just doing the right yeah like that's exactly you know we've had our conversations with the people there every everyone might have their every artist might have their own relationship with live nation the like sure which and by that I mean Live Nation, the corporation as a concept, Live Nation as <laughs> right. a collective of individual people that you've met throughout your career. Because if you're a touring artist, you have a relationship, yeah. with some set of people that represent Live Nation. Certainly, our relationship with both the corporation and the people that are that make it up has evolved. So everyone's going to mm-hmm. have their own different opinions about their level of 
what they think the reasoning is. But I think it boils down to what you just said, which is like, let's not stop a company from doing a thing that really benefits artists and is the right thing to do right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I mean, there are some of my friends, good friends work at Live Nation. I mean, there are people, there are really good people that make up, you know, uh, a corporation and all of that. And like, but the concept of, of Live Nation, live, you know, like in your song, Live Nation is a monopoly. I mean, like yeah. calling them out by name. It's like, it's, that's, that's an idea. That's more than just like, you know, the actual substance of it all. So, um, well, above all, you know, again, thank you guys for your advocacy and your work. I mean, this is a massive stride, uh, huge moves in the right direction. And it's going to be, I mean, it's going to benefit thousands and thousands of artists. And really, I mean, it's going to make, I mean, they estimated it's going to put tens of millions of dollars back into artist pockets just in the next few months. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is what they've calculated. And and I've the Live Nation rep that I spoke to last night, um, she said that this is going to be ongoing until further notice. So there's there's no end date to this program, which is great. Um, and this is really the conversation that is needed to happen. So it's it's great to see real change um, in on that front. So um, just to kind of finish up, um, I I want to just kind of get back to the music a little bit uh, yeah. <laughs> because you know you guys um, you know we can lose if we talk business we are on the new music business podcast after yeah. all so we are we are have to, we do have to talk about the business a little bit but um, but I I'm really excited to hear about um, the new single that you guys have well by this time is airing has just released. Um, and just to talk a little bit about, um, I'm confident that I'm insecure, the previous single. Now, the, the, the version that you put out of I'm confident that I'm insecure, uh, you kind of call it the, um, well, there's, I, I saw the video, um, which was fantastic. The kind of acoustic ish version yeah, yeah. and all of that, which is super fun. Um, is this part of like, is this the version that's going to be, the version and is this part of the rollout for the new album and talk about that and then talk about the the new single yeah i mean well the official song's been out for i guess a little over uh a month right like a a six weeks or something like that and then Mm -hmm. we always we are not always but we found um when making the last album that you know what what we do in the studio is one thing what we do at the live show is another thing and then there's always this version of clyde and i loved working with like a million singers and like that's like the our our dream and Clyde is amazing at vocal arrangement so um I think we we were really excited on the last album to do um you know these acoustic-ish versions um or I guess we really only did them for two of the songs um and people seem to really like like those videos we did one for Don't Lose Sight that definitely had this like viral moment and then when mm-hmm. we were just starting working on this batch of new music and release, I'm confident that I'm insecure. We thought it would be really fun to do an acoustic-ish version of that song that felt really different than the studio recording um, and just kind of like gave people a different lens into the song and featured like our favorite singers and friends. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think we'll continue making those kinds of videos and maybe one day cool. we'll have a home somewhere on something that's released. But that is that version is on Spotify also or anywhere right. you listen to music as well as the official. Um yeah, that song is uh it's it means a lot to I think all of us. I, I wrote that 
the beginnings of it in like the the pandemic in a particularly low mm. moment mentally and mm. um, brought like the first half of the song to Clyde and was just like, what do you think about this? You know, I'm struggling with this feeling of like insecurity in my life, even though I'm a seemingly like confident and um, outgoing person given my yeah. job. Um, and I thought it was a cool idea to play with like confidence and insecurity in the same song. Whereas usually we only hear about like one end of that spectrum and don't hold mm. those realities in the same, uh, song or piece and, or yeah. mindset. And I think I often oscillate between both within one sentence. So, um, I liked the idea of playing with that and Clyde really liked what I had written and we just kind of finished the song and worked with Jordan and Johnny, who's the other producer in our band and uh, John Bellion. And mm -hmm. there's that song. And I love, I love the line in the afternoon. I'm a rising Pisces and a fucked up moon. That's a, yes. that's yeah. my favorite. That's my favorite part. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great line. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I think like that, that song's a good example of the ways in which we try to like infuse our songs, with a lot of comedy and humor and like mm -hmm. uh, talk about things that, are you know important to us but from a perspective that's not necessarily so heavy-handed or overly saccharine sure. or overly sad um just kind of conversationally as if you were writing it in your diary or talking to a friend so that's sort of cool and then we do have yeah by the time this is out we will have not released probably but announced um the upcoming release of our new single 23, which is one that we're really excited about. Um, it's uh, it's another song featuring Gracie on lead vocals, um, which but we usually- will have many, many songs. Usually we try to go back and forth between like ones, but this one felt like a really good one to release right now. So we're doing a rare back-to-back -back Gracie lead vocal Swearing um, them out, you know yeah um <laughs> but it's a it's a fun one and part of the reason why we wanted to release it is because we've been playing it live um not mm. on this tour but um a number of times on our like previous headline shows and so our mm -hmm. fans know about it they're excited for it i think it's fun i think like um i think it's a really really like fun song that feels like lawrence but also has some like slightly different feeling like production in a way that I think will be cool for this song and is really cool. Um, I also think it might be our most succinctly written pop song ever. What do you mean? Like how like, fast? It took what us, is that? It took us well, no, three it took years us, like, to write. Yeah. So not in the, the actual <laughs> how quickly it took us to write. But I think because of that, like some people have this, when you talk about songwriting a lot, people are like, I wrote it in, in 30 seconds and that means brilliant right. and that's sometimes true like don't lose sight i feel like which is a song i i think we both liked immediately was a very quick right in like an hour um yeah. but this song mm. was the opposite experience of literally like i think every single word has been changed 20 times well, it's a song about a few different things it's a song about be turning 23 and okay. feeling like you have high hopes or you had high hopes for turning 23 but then like someone breaks your heart while you're 23 and in a way that makes you sad 
and, and that's sort of like so it's like it's it's it, right like that's kind of what this yeah. it's about it's about getting broken up with while you're 23 and it was like how much do we want to um talk about the breakup versus just the the age, the age. like we could focus verse you know when you have those precious moments in your verse to like tell some story are we telling a story about what it's like to be 23 are we are we needing to mm. like set up the character of like this relationship that you're in that's getting broken up you know it's like what are you dedicating your real estate? To? Sometimes songs have like such a limited yeah. amount of real estate that if you're kind of like telling a story, it's not just like, oh, I'm 23. And it's not just like, oh, breakup song. It's like breakup at 23. So I feel like it took us so mm. long to keep adjusting like where we were kind of like focusing our attention lyrically. And melodically, just we had a hook that we really liked and just framing that as as perfectly as we could with John, who's such a master at that, um, John Bellion. Like we just, we all were like racking our brains to try to figure out this song for the longest time. So on that level, I'm very excited for it to come out because A, we can't change it anymore. Yeah. And B, um, <laughs> I am very happy with where we landed because we really, it took so much consideration. And sometimes that's actually... I mean, I don't know how what that means in terms of how it will perform or how successful it will be or anything like that. But from a personal success level, I'm really happy with where it landed. And sometimes that does take three years to get to. Jordan did have the idea at some point while we were making mm. it of like putting out an EP that's just like five <laughs> different versions of the same song. Because we put it <laughs> All the different lyrics. Like produced the song in one night, like 80% of it. Yeah. All right. It, three years the ago. Oh, wow, the final I, I had yeah. written a full version yeah. of this song three years ago. And we were like, that this then... is so <sighs> good. We need to say And it was this. right at the tail end of us right. finishing We should have put Hotel it on TV. Hotel TV, but yeah. we were like, Hotel, it's yeah. so good. We got to save it for the next one. And then we just so yeah. realized three years of tinkered. Like said, tinkered with every beat. But it's better now. So I think. so you're telling me that the song is not about Michael Jordan. That's that's well, what you're saying. Or is it about... don't talk about what our songs are about. Yeah. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> that was his takeaway. You're talking about verse version uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. seven. That was right. the, that Oh, was right, sorry. I was going off of a live version from two years ago. So there was a whole time where it was written about the year 2023. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, we, got we it. We did commit cool. to when we kept tinkering with it. We did at one point, we were like, we got to just have this song done in time to put it out in, in, the, in the year 2020. In the year 2020. Even though it has nothing about the year 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, guys, this has been uh, such a treat chatting with uh, all, all three of you. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to get all three of you, and I'm so happy that we all got to, to – uh, shoot the shit over the last hour. Um, I have one final question that I ask everybody who comes on the show, and I'd love to hear each of your answers. Um, and that is, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? It's a great question. I mean, we kind of have start? billboards, flashing lights. <laughs> um, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> literally, I think uh, there's literally a conversation about this in episode three of our doc series in which people literally different episode members. Five. Episode five, too, talks about more what does it mean to be famous. And episode three talks mm. about what does it mean to be successful. And, mm. you know, yeah, I, I've often described being in the music business to like 
being on a ladder hanging just free floating on a ladder and knowing that there's like a million rungs above you and a million rungs below you but like not really knowing where you are in the course of the ladder um and i think that that is like that's kind of how i feel like it is so i think like Mm -hmm. my advice to people is just like try to enjoy the ladder try to enjoy the rung you're on and take it one rung at a time and if you happen to jump three rungs great like that's my advice, but how do I define like where on that mm-hmm. ladder is making it? I think like for me, it's always been at like being able to make exactly the music that I want to make, not compromise my artistic or operational values, like having the band culture be exactly what we want it to be. All of those things being paramount and being able to make a good living doing it while not sacrificing any of that like to me Mm. making like making an even better living but sacrificing a bunch of that would be less making it to me Mm. than keeping all of that keeping everything what i want it to be and then making a living doing that at the very least that's a version of making it to me that's a good answer beautiful like that i would agree with that i i'll give a like very uh emotional potentially hormonal answer Um, (laughs) but i recently at one of our shows um we've been doing these off day headline shows in between the the jonas brother tour dates um in some of the markets and we did one show and i was feeling really just like out of it after the show and so i went backstage and um the the i guess the manager of the venue or the someone who was working at the venue that day came backstage and said there's a bunch of um young girls like probably around eight or nine who like have waited here for a while and they want to talk to you and i didn't know that and i was like oh okay yeah i'll come out and talk to them and i spoke to them for probably like 15 minutes or 10 minutes maybe not even that you know they they were like not trying to be obtrusive in any way although like for me they didn't know this but i was like so what do you guys like going to talk about i was like so excited to talk to them um when you say eight or nine you mean that's how old they were. oh that's not how old the they were number of, not the quantity there were probably like five girls and they were around eight or nine years old and yeah i had i got i came backstage and just was like really moved by it um because it just reminded me of what it was like to be an eight-year-old girl who wanted to be a musician all of them played music and all of them you know were interested in songwriting and that you know and having a conversation with them about that and then kind of reflecting on where I was currently at that was like a very Mm. emotional moment for me and I think Mm. the way that they respond to our music I think if I'm able to have and continue to have those connections with people in general but maybe particularly young women um i i think that that's become over the past few years very apparent to me that that's something that's really um important for for me and to feel like excited about this job and and that's something Mm. that really like fuels fuels me so shout out to those girls they were really awesome (laughs) that's great in life (laughs) yeah oh very Uh, sweet my answer i could tell in two anecdotes one is that when we played that show in hotel tv to hotel, a hotel cafe. cafe to 150 people yeah. like i that was it i made it that we thought like, we made it then that's the coolest thing in the world we went across the country and there are people here that care about us 
And like, mm. that was such a pure feeling of having made it. Um, I also have, without name dropping, met someone in a band that is like one of the biggest bands that mankind has ever known. And I was so blown away to be in his presence. And he was like, oh, where are you from? I said, New York. And he said, we're playing the MetLife Stadium. You got to come. You got to buy tickets. You got to, we need to sell tickets. And he was selling me so hard on buy. And I was like, dude, you're in the biggest band ever. Like my favorite <laughs> band. And you're still doing this hustle of like needing still to sell tickets. Hustle. And it was really like, wow, like kind of like uh, a real life representation of what Clyde's saying. Like the spectrum is just so wide from what it means to have made it. You could be playing hotel cafe feeling like you've made it or playing MetLife Stadium and like being stressed about selling tickets. So I don't know. I don't think there ever is a real moment that anyone <laughs> yeah. makes try anything. To be, try to be sure. happy. Just be happy. Try to be, be happy. happy. <laughs> I love it. Jordan, Clyde, Gracie, Lawrence. Thank you guys so much. Thank this you great. so much, man. Today's episode was edited by Mikey Evans with music by Grassroots District and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.